0: Hey, this is Mohal Joshi from Los Angeles, California. I follow Indian foreign policy and defense with a special focus on Asia. You can follow me on Twitter
1: at Mohal Joshi. Hey, this is Kishore Narayan from Bengaluru in India. I am an international relations expert specializing in global security, conflict resolution, and international negotiation. My focus areas include peace building and digital diplomacy. You can find me on Twitter at Veggie Diplomat. Hello and welcome to episode 43 of India Rising, Strategic Affairs Conversation with Mohal and Kishore. In this episode, we will look at the recent crisis in the India-Canada ties, starting with the Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's statement in the House of Commons in the Canadian Parliament after the success of the G20 Summit in New Delhi in India. But before we delve into all that, we urge you, the listeners, to subscribe to our channel, India Rising, wherever you are listening to us. Also, if you are listening to us on YouTube, don't forget to press the bell icon to be notified about our new episodes. And lastly, if you have not left us a review, we urge you to do so as it helps other listeners like you in finding us. And now, let's get started. We'll quickly skim through uh, the G20 summit talking points before we move into the main agenda for the day. Now, as part of the G20 talking points, uh, primary focus was on the joint statement. uh, And uh, uh, everybody was keen to know if uh, there would be a joint statement at all or if it would just be a chairman's message. India managed to have a joint statement uh, with everybody on board. uh, Unlike how things turned out in Bali in the previous edition, and this time around the language on Ukraine was watered down quite a bit. Now, although the G20 members were able to forge a consensus declaration at the summit, it papered over many, many differences. Final document said that the states should refrain from threat or use of force to seek territorial acquisition, but there was still no explicit condemnation of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. This was definitely uh, a compromise among parties with varying views on the war. Contrasted with the declaration in Bali, Indonesia last year, uh, simply because then China and Russia had acquiesced to a leader's statement that contained a forthright condemnation of the invasion. Now, uh, obviously, there was a lot of drama, Uh, we wouldn't go into that drama. Uh, of how things panned out uh, and how India had to burn the midnight oil to get uh, this kind of a joint statement out. Uh, we'll, we'll just skim through that, but then uh, essentially we all know that uh, uh, there was this Delhi declaration. One thing that uh, we uh, one thing that was of interest was how uh, Congress MP Shashi Tharoor opined on the success of G20 summit, and I quote him here verbatim. The Delhi Declaration is undoubtedly a diplomatic triumph for India. It's a good achievement because right until the G20 summit was being convened, the widespread expectation was that there would be no agreement and that therefore a joint communique might not be possible. We might have to end up with a chairman's summary. The reason for that in particular, the main reason was the big gulf between those who wanted a condemnation of the Russian war in Ukraine. And those like Russia and China who wanted no mention whatsoever of that subject. India was able to find a formula to bridge that gap. And that in itself is a significant diplomatic achievement. Because when there is a summit without a joint communique, it is always seen as a setback for the chairman, unquote. Now, again, this kind of underlines the uh, apparent success of the summit itself. Uh, In addition to the joint statement, there were a couple of other things that happened. Uh, One was definitely the inclusion of the African Union as a permanent member of G20. Therefore, G20 turning or evolving into G21. And uh, Mohal, you want to talk about that?
0: Yeah, so the G20 uh, was expanded in this summit. So the African Union was expanded to the G20. So this was like a Acknowledgement by the G20 to the growing uh, African story, which is the fastest growing continent in the world. It also enhances India's soft power and uh, further enhances also the voice of the global south, of which like India is trying to claim leadership of. Now, uh, this uh, also is good because uh, Prime Minister Modi has been Conducting like a, like a, a summit for the global south, uh, after taking over the baton of the G20 from Indonesia, and to match the rhetoric, uh, the championing of the African Union, India has delivered on its promise. Also, uh, India has like is trying to mainstream the the marginalised groups in the global uh, community of states, like which includes the African Union. Kishor.
1: Yeah, uh, of course, uh, India has been trying to lure (laughs) and champion the cause of uh, the African nations as well. Everybody knows about the uh, vaccine diplomacy and how India tried to uh, share whatever new vaccines had been developed uh, in the aftermath of the COVID pandemic. So, uh, yeah, so it's been an ongoing journey, ongoing saga of uh, India trying to (laughs) be a leader of the global south. We'll move on. We'll also talk about Uh, An interesting consequential announcement that happened on the sidelines of the G20 summit. And this was the announcement of a brand new rail and port network, which would connect India to the Middle East and then further from Middle East into Europe and the US. Uh, It would be called India-Middle East-Europe Economic Corridor, also uh, acronymed as I-M-E-C. Now, there was no leader from the participating country who would mention the name of China, but then it was an obvious alternative to China's Belt and Road Initiative uh, aiming to connect the whole world. Uh, I mean, the Belt and Road Initiative was aiming to connect the whole world to China through shipping rail and road, but uh, this alternative that was announced was kind of an alternative to BRI itself. Now, obviously, this also uh, kind of Uh, did not happen in one night. There were intense negotiations led by Deputy National Security Advisor Vikram Misri from the Indian side and they kept uh, discussing with four countries and other stakeholders. Uh, And uh, as part of that, uh, it was kind of hurriedly cobbled up at the end of the G20 summit. Now, where did the genesis uh, begin? It was kind of two years ago when uh, we talked about the I2U2 summit in one of our previous episodes and at that time uh, this new formation of India, Israel, UAE and the US, the I2U2, I think this corridor uh, can find, uh, could find its genesis from that uh, I2U2 summit that happened um, more than uh, uh, close to two years ago and then eventually Saudi Arabia also became a part of that grouping. So obviously Uh, there has been uh, strategic uh, outreach from India to uh, not only the Middle East, but also to Europe and uh, to the U.S. in terms of having uh, greater trade relationship, greater strategic cooperation and participation. And therefore, uh, Doval, Doval, uh, India's NSA, Ajit Doval, kept meeting his American counterpart and also from UAE and Saudi, and that way uh, they were able to achieve Uh, this new corridor. Also, as part of the uh, new corridor, uh, this would apparently speed up the India-Europe trade by 40%. And uh, this kind of becomes even more important simply because India is now trying to uh, become that, uh, that new manufacturing powerhouse globally as part of the China plus one model. And that is where India hopes that it would be able to export a lot of manufactured goods uh, to Europe and beyond. Now, as part of this, it's kind of uh, interesting to note that this not only uh, was a brand new corridor challenging China, but even more interesting was that this announcement brought Saudi, EU, US, and India all on the same page. Again, which was quite interesting. How did China respond to this? China uh, merely said that it welcomed the new corridor, but it also kind of said that it did not want, wish to see this becoming a geopolitical tool, uh, which is exactly what BRI has ended up becoming. Now all this, as, uh, all this happened while Italy it itself kind of announced, uh, and uh, Italy's uh, prime minister uh, spoke with the Chinese premier on the sidelines of the G20 summit that Italy actually planned to pull out of the uh, BRA itself. Now, uh, China downplayed that uh, proposal or that announcement from Italy, uh, while also kind of um, welcoming the India Middle East Europe economic corridor.
0: Yeah, I think, uh, so as you mentioned, like, I think if we go over the map, basically, it's like the shipping from, let's say, like the port of Mumbai to Dubai or Jabal Ali in the UAE. And then I think the overland transportation through the breadth of Saudi Arabia. Yeah, heartland of the Arabian. Through, yeah, through, yeah, through through rail and uh, roads and they would have to still to before cross crossover to israel they would have to go through jordan, jordan so they yeah. would have to get jordan also on board and uh through the port of haifa in israel it would be shipped to Piraeus in greece mm-hmm. and onwards to european Union. so this also bypasses the suez ch- choke point which uh, probably will help uh increase the the speed of goods transported also interestingly the 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 instc or the international north south transport corridor which was linking it via the port of Chabar in uh, Iran and onwards to Azerbaijan and Russia, onwards to Europe. Now with the sanctions against Russia with the Ukraine war and also the constant sanctioning of Iran also brought a lot of complications where a lot of companies didn't want to work on the INSTC. So this would be like a parallel part to the, uh, the INSTC in addition to being a competition for the BRI.
1: Yeah, also uh, totally bypassing Turkey, so that is an additional uh, note that
0: uh, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh,
1: Turkish uh, president was not happy about. Anyway, we'll we'll quickly move on. We'll uh, uh, will enough of G20. We'll quickly move on to what Indo Canada ties are now witnessing. Uh, there was a surprise statement by Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Uh, in their parliament. But before that, uh, at the end of the G20 summit, Justin Trudeau remained stranded in New Delhi for almost two days after the plane he arrived on for the summit broke down. While he remained stranded, uh, there was this plane glitch drama which only added to his voice. Remember, the last time he had come, uh, his, his visit was not Uh, appreciated by one and all in fact uh, there were uh, serious statements or downright uh, damning allegations that it was kind of a clown visiting India Uh, so he had a lot of uh, ground to cover this time around but looks like even this time around uh, there wasn't uh, much improvement in in uh, Indo-Canada ties but then once that happened once his plane was repaired and he moved back he immediately went ahead And in in their parliament, he publicly criticized Prime Minister Modi for allegedly allowing anti-India activities of uh, extremist elements. Now, this obviously was a reference to Khalistan. Now, in the one-on-one between Modi and uh, Trudeau, which happened along the sidelines of the G20, Modi kept telling or kept pointing out that there were anti-India activities activities of extremist elements that were happening in Canada. Now again, Modi said enough is enough and don't continue this. Now obviously Trudeau kept harping on uh, how Canada uh, uh, attaches importance to freedom of speech and therefore he cannot do anything with regard to that. Therefore, um, Modi and her government were obviously not happy with Canada and uh, he he didn't get any any more respect than what he would have otherwise uh, deserved. Now, as part of all this, there was the cold vibes. He went back, and once he went back, in their parliament, uh, Justin Trudeau uh, said that Canadian intelligence agencies are now looking into the allegations uh, after Sikh leader Hardeep Singh Nijjar, a strong supporter of an independent Sikh homeland, known as Khalistan, was gunned down on June 18th outside a Sikh cultural center in Surrey in the state of British Columbia. Now, his statement, and I read it verbatim: quote, Over the past number of weeks, Canadian security agencies have been actively pursuing credible allegations of a potential link between agents of the government of India and the killing of a Canadian citizen, unquote. Now, once he said this, He not only brought up links between Niger's murder and the Indian government, Uh, not only uh, did he do that in uh, in the sidelines of the G20 last week with PM Modi, but he also uh, brought it up unilaterally in their parliament. He also added, any involvement of a foreign government in the killing of a Canadian citizen on Canadian soil is an unacceptable violation of their sovereignty. Now, all this kind of set the stage uh, wherein Canada would be upping the ante, telling you cannot kill one of our citizens on our soil uh, and this would be a clear violation of our sovereignty and therefore uh, we hold you responsible for this. And that was where not only did they do that, uh, immediately after that, I think uh, they announced that there would be, Uh, assigning an Indian diplomat as a persona non grata. By that, essentially, it means that the Indian diplomat, whoever was that person, would have to pack his bags and go back home. Now, uh, once that happened, uh, once the statement was made, Canadian Foreign Minister Melanie Jolie, uh, she chimed in. She said that the head of Indian intelligence in Canada has been expelled as a consequence. So we all got to know who was that Indian diplomat. Again, I I read her quote, if proven true that this, if proven true, this would be a great violation of our sovereignty and one of the most basic rule of how countries deal with each other. As a consequence, we have expelled a top Indian diplomat, unquote. In the retaliation, I mean, on the very same day, yeah, go ahead. I,
0: I, yeah, so usually like, see, when uh, there's always a steadfast at expulsions but what's kind of interesting is they name the Indian intelligence now I mean many times in, as a defense attachés like there are people like who are working with raw or uh, military intelligence they're always working in foreign embassies. it's kind of known but it's very rare that somebody would be called out as a head of Indian intelligence or named like I think this only happened probably after uh, just before the bin laden raid where I think the US um, defense attache in uh, uh or the station chief sorry uh, the station the ci station chief in uh islamabad embassy was called out by the leaked his name was leaked by the pakistani press as a retaliation uh-huh. so this was kind of very unusual that usually like diplomats are not named or their position is not named like i mean calling out like a head of indian intelligence is very uh unbecoming of a usually like a of a nation to do this in such a manner.
1: Agree, agree. Now, obviously, in retaliation, uh, India had to uh, kind of return the favour and almost immediately, uh, the very next day, India expelled one of Canada's top diplomats and thus ramped up a confrontation between the two countries. Now, uh, while all this was happening, MEA issued a ministry of external affairs here in india issued an advisory on friday uh, which is september uh, 22 uh, as we record uh, this podcast that citing a sharp increase in incidents of hate crime sectarian violence and anti india activities it kind of issued an advisory to uh, for all indian nationals and students who were in canada so that way, the uh, India was asking its citizens in Canada to be on the lookout, to be watchful, and uh, again, this was another another way of uh, upping the ante. Now, all, while all this was happening, uh, there was quite a bit of uh, uh, quite a bit of uh, stir in in foreign foreign capitals. Obviously, uh. uh U.S., Australia, U.K., all of them were asked about this about this development, and everybody kind of uh, tried to maintain neutral ground. Now, while all this was happening, again, uh, Canada's permanent mission to the United Nations in New York uh, said that uh, yeah, while addressing that permanent mission to United Nations, Justin Trudeau said. And again, I quote, as I said on Monday, there are credible reasons to believe that agents of the government India were involved in the killing of a Canadian on Canadian soil. Uh, there is something of utmost foundational importance in a country's rule of law in a world where international rules-based order matters. We have rigorous and independent judges and robust processes. So, uh, Justin Trudeau was now kind of uh, uh, stepping down Back a bit. Peddling. Yeah. yeah. Stepping down a bit, backpedaling. Uh, and now we're, we're using words like credible reason to believe that agents of the government of India were involved. Yeah. Now, I mean, the, the most ridiculous part is that, uh,
0: like he said, oh, I was not trying to provoke India, which is kind of so hilarious <laughs> that if you have such a strong allegation, why would you even try to walk back? If you want to make a stand, then make a stand, but don't walk it back. And then suddenly, how does it become that I was not tried when you are making such a big allegation as a prime minister of a big nation like Canada? If you say on the floor of the parliament, as in your capacity as a prime minister, that such a foreign government has assassinated uh, your citizen, I mean, you it would be like hilarious to see like the other countries going to cooperate with you, right? I mean, they're saying, oh, can you please cooperate with this to help us resolve this or uh, further dig into this? But I mean, no way India is going after such undiplomatic language or such strong language, I would say, there's no way that India is going to now cooperate with uh, Canada fully given the circumstances of how things have played and how ugly this
1: spat has become, you know. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, uh, all while all this was happening, there was a sudden development. And what was that? CBC News, Canadian Broadcasting Corporation News, uh, came up with a claim uh, based on some sources that the Canadian government had amassed both human and signal intelligence in a month-long investigation of the Sikh activist death that had inflamed relations with India. Uh, we'll go through each part of that Uh, in detail, but then I continue with uh, what CBC News said. Uh, That intelligence includes communications involving Indian officials themselves, including Indian diplomats present in Canada, as per Canadian government sources. The intelligence did not come solely from Canada. Some was provided by an unnamed ally in the Five Eyes Intelligence Alliance. So uh, this is what CBC News claimed. Now, if that was the case, then it meant that not only was Canada uh, gathering human and signal intelligence, but it was also being aided by a foreign foreign capital uh, coming as part of the Five Eyes intelligence alliance, and therefore, not only were they uh, having month-long investigation, but while doing so, they were possibly also tapping into uh, the communication of the Indian diplomats, uh, not only outside, but also inside Canada as well. Now, this again uh, was a serious breach of how uh, diplomats are allowed to function in any foreign...
0: I mean, when you are in a foreign country, it's pretty much given that your phones would be tapped and your communications would be compromised. I mean, but like given that India and Canada are not like... I mean, maybe the relations are not at the best at the moment, but they are not like enemies of any sorts. So it would be kind of um, surprise. I mean, it would be like kind of undiplomatic, as you say, but it wouldn't be surprising because I think all agents in like foreign countries are tailed by their local security agencies. I mean, the 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 surprising part, I don't know if things will be ever given out because it might compromise their sources mm. that it would be very surprising if like two people from like indian intelligence would be talking over a phone or an electronic device about eliminating somebody like a niger i mean these are many very very hush hush conversations and they would be have been told to uh take the utmost precaution when even if they wanted to discuss it and especially not use electronic devices which i mean given the amount of snooping i mean uh Canada or like you are like a country like US. I mean when they say unnamed five eyes partner, it would probably be USA, that would be probably, the, yeah. the, the 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 guess. So I mean given the widespread surveillance that like somebody like an Edward Snowden or something has revealed like a few a uh, decade ago, they would be highly uh, circumspect to use such a uh, to I mean discuss such explosive details over like an electronic device and be snooped upon you know
1: yeah agree, agree. but then again, uh, the point was uh, signal intelligence human intelligence would would not stand ground in any uh, rule of law kind of a, a, a court proceeding. and therefore again people were wondering how how on earth could Canadian Prime Minister jump to the conclusion and claim that uh, Indian uh, government was involved? Anyway, be that as it may, now, while all this was happening as uh, tensions kept ratcheting up, India also stopped issuing visas to Canadian citizens and told Canada to reduce its diplomatic staff. Uh, Now, in addition to this, uh, uh, Indian Foreign Ministry spokesperson also uh, said that Canada is a safe haven for terrorists. We'll come back to this uh, a little later, uh, uh, elaborating what uh, was in that statement. But then this was an incredible comment, which is generally usually reserved only for countries like Pakistan, uh, which kind of uh, uh, employ terrorism uh, to engage with India. Now, uh, be that as it may, Canadian diplomatic strength, which was three times that of India's, besides an extra mission... Uh, now they have been asked to bring the number down to parity. okay, so that's it. that's with regards to the allegations and the quick response that we had from India. Uh, Mohal, you want to talk about who Niger was and kind of elaborate on uh, why did things come to this point? Yeah, so Niger
0: like uh, I know like many in the Western media have been, portraying him as an activist or a plumber but like the impression okay. in india is very different i mean yeah i mean like that is just like uh trying to explain away that uh he's like troubled history so in india like there is the allegation that he was a operator of the babar khalsa international and he joined hands with uh other terrorist organizations so i mean the allegation that Niger also visited Pakistan to hold meetings with other Khalistani and ISI officials. Uh, he was actively spot, uh, involved in spotting, networking, training and financing of various uh, terrorist modules. I mean, even in like Canada, uh, he had uh, displayed images of Khalistani terrorists of the past decades, including uh, Bindranwala. Now, in 2015, Niger even organized an armed training camp in British Columbia. I mean, there are like videos and pictures of him holding AK 47. Now, mind you, like it's not the United States next door where AK 47 you could own it uh, with a license. Like this is in Canada, it is like kind of illegal to uh, own this uh, as per mine. Knowledge like you couldn't own like AK 47s in British Columbia, so in spite of like such videographic evidence, like the government took no action against him, <laughs> even in 2016. As per reports, like he had sent some uh folks to eliminate like Shiv Sena leaders in Punjab, and uh, the guy who sent was arrested by Punjab police and the plot was foiled. So he was there was a he was named in an FIR in India, uh, also nature with another fellow radical named Arshdeep Singh Dala raised a squad, squad of four killers of uh, terrorists who carried out targeted killings of a Hindu priest uh, back in India and also abduction and uh, gunning down of a sacrilege accused in Moga. So uh, the, there are, there's a quite a long list of uh, uh, folks in India and I mean even when in 2018 when uh, Trudeau had visited uh, India, uh, Captain Amrinder Singh had uh, shared a list of nine uh, high-profile individuals or terrorists who they wanted to bring to justice in India. And mm-hmm. Niger's name was on that list that was shared by then uh, Congress Chief Minister of Punjab, Amrinder Singh to Justin Trudeau.
1: Okay. Okay, now uh, the, the thing out here was the selective hip- hypocrisy in calling out uh, the killing. Now, remember that you had uh, Karima Baloch, a human rights activist from uh, Balochistan, the province in uh, uh, Pakistan, who had come down to Canada and was trying to uh, advocate for human rights uh, in Balochistan. But then, uh, surprisingly, uh, not surprisingly, actually, uh, she was found murdered in Canada. And when, when questions were raised, Canadian authorities said that they did not find any uh, any conspiracy in her death and uh, they kind of washed their hands of it. Now, uh, Mohal, you were also mentioning uh, before we started recording that the killer of Sheikh Mujibur Rahman was also in Canada. Was that what you Yeah. Were-
0: so from what I read is that one of the killers of Sheikh Mujibur Rahman mm-hmm. has been in Canada and there have been requests since I think the late 90s to sending back to Bangladesh. But for whatever go- reasons, no action has been taken against um, them. I mean, so it's just like kind of hypocritical that like the country West of India and the East of India, like uh, uh, all formerly known as East Pakistan, like Bangladesh, like, like, uh, like no action has been taken against them. So, I mean, they have been soft on terror suspects, but again... Like the the hypocrisy is that basically like if Karima Baloch was assassinated, I mean, why was there was no hue and cry Mm, apart from the Baloch activists? And on the other hand, like why a killer of Sheikh Mujibur Rahman would be given protection or uh, refuge by a country like Canada if it supports that, if it purports that like they are strong against like terrorists and criminals, you know?
1: Exactly, exactly. Okay, so uh, we'll also talk about how Indo-Canada relations have been worsening uh, ever since Trudeau took office. Uh, remember that uh, uh, Trudeau has been uh, the third time Prime Minister now and uh, his his term has not been good for uh, Indo-Canada ties. Now, analysts Point point out to Trudeau's appearance at a Sikh event in Toronto in 2017, where there were separatist flags and posters depicting an extremist Sikh leader killed in 1984 Indian Army operation, which were being displayed, and uh, people of op- uh, Indian Indian authorities kind of raised questions about that, uh, to which uh, there was no direct answer from Trudeau. But then Trudeau also. Uh, had had visited India in 2018 on a maiden trip and he was generally given the cold shoulder when he visited. Uh, he not only got a chilly reception uh, but then PMO was also uh, kind of put on its heels after it was reported that Jaspal Atwal, a Khalasthanic supporter, once convicted of trying to kill an Indian cabinet minister, had been invited to two receptions during Mr. Trudeau's visit. So again, all this kind of uh, uh, India felt that Canada was doing deliberately and needlessly uh, needling uh, India. And therefore, India kept, uh, uh, I mean, India did not go out of its way to uh, please Trudeau. Now, while all this was happening, uh, last time around, uh, even then, PM Modi met uh, Justin Trudeau only at the very fag end of a trip. I think I remember... Uh, there was a lot of chitter chatter on whether Trudeau would eventually manage to meet PM Modi at all, but then and then whether he would get would get the customary Modi hug or not. What would get the the <laughs> exactly. And then uh, he 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 also did manage to meet uh, uh, Punjab Chief Minister Amarinder Singh, just like how you mentioned uh, Mohal. And uh, Amarinder Singh, Captain Amarinder Singh, had handed a list of the Khalistani operatives. Uh, asking, uh, and in that list, there was Nijar's name also. And uh, he had asked uh, that uh, Canada hand over the Kalishtani operatives. Uh, Mohan, and also back then,
0: yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, also back then, uh, just a year ago, when mm-hmm. Harjit Sajjan, then Defense Minister of uh, Canada, had visited Punjab, like uh, Captain Amarinder didn't didn't meet him because uh, he had accused the defense minister of sympathizing with the khalistan movement as like many of the sikh leaders in uh canada have done and uh so there was some apprehensions whether he would meet uh justin trudeau eventually they did meet and uh but similar to like what prime minister Modi like they had there was a lot of apprehension this was not like kind of a a BJP thing. I mean, at that time, Kapra there was like in the Congress party, and obviously, now he's in the BJP. Mm, mm, mm. But so it was like a cross party mm. thing where uh, Indians uh, didn't uh, take too warmly to the Canadian delegations uh, as far back as 2018. I mean, this was like across party lines, is what I meant to say. Kishore?
1: Agree, agree.
0: So, uh, some of the other measures that India took. Uh, was like they are going to now review the OCI or overseas citizen of India status for many of the people who are the scanner of the Indian government, especially those who have been uh, booked under UAPA or other uh, terrorist uh, designations. So I think in the coming days, we can expect a lot of OCI statuses and visas being cancelled by the Indian government. Also, India has reiterated the that there are like around 26 extradition requests uh, pending with the Canadian authorities many of them who have been booked under various cases in India uh, also as part of the wider crackdown the NIO the National Investigative Agency in India released pictures of 10 people who were accused in the March 2023 of attack and vandalism of the Indian Consulate in San Francisco United States and I think they are asking for more information on the general public uh and then also like MEA has uh, re- released a strongly word statement about uh, Canada needing to worry about its international reputation in uh, wake of these explosive allegations. So, uh, I mean, he, the... MEA, the foreign ministry spokesman, Arindam Bhakchi, said that uh, if you talk about reputation, and I quote, if you're talking about reputational issues and reputational damage, if there is country that needs to look at this, I think Canada and its growing reputation as a place of safe haven for terrorists, for extremists and for organized crime, uh, end quote. So this is the kind of a very shocking statement that something you would attribute easily to Pakistan, but not for a... uh, Western democratic
1: power like uh, like yeah, Canada. True, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's kind of uh, <laughs> yes, that's symbolic of, say, Italian mafia or uh, 50 years ago, how New York organized crime was. I think mean, that mm-hmm. uh, Indian MEA is kind of uh, pointing Canada to that. Anyway, uh, uh, do you also want to talk about uh, the Kanishka bombing and how? Uh, things have always been kind of a rocky between India and Canada.
0: Yeah, so it's not like that, that. While there has been a severe downturn in relations, no doubt over the past, let's say, five plus years, hmm. but this has always been a recurring trend. So if you go back to like back to 1985, and this is in the aftermath of the Operation Blue Star and the tragedy that unfolded in the Golden Temple, Uh, For the the civilians, obviously, there were like terrorists like Bindranwale who were to be eliminated by the Indian authorities because things had got completely out of control. So uh, until like 9-11, the Kanishka bombing was the single worst act of terrorism in the the air or the sky where Sikh extremists like had planted a bomb aboard uh, Air India Flight 182, which resulted in the deaths of 329 passengers and crew like when the plane blew up somewhere just west of the coast of Ireland while making a transatlantic journey so I mean I mean this was like uh, 1985 so a lot of people don't have like very strong memories of them now what ended up happening was that um, the main suspect was a a guy named Talvinder Singh Parmar now it's not like that Justin Trudeau uh, has been like unique in kind of uh, like uh, going soft on the terror uh terrorism part or the extremism part in canada his father then prime minister pierre Trudeau, uh had a request from then prime minister indira gandhi to extradite uh palvinda singh tarmar um uh, sorry talvinda singh parmar sorry my apologies uh an indian court had issued, issued a warrant for Parmar, like basically he had he was involved in the uh, killings of I believe like it was like two policemen if I am my memory serves me right now a formal request was sent to the Trudeau government I mean the peer Trudeau government and they had given some lame excuse about not recognizing that since India doesn't recognize the queen as a head of state the commonwealth extradition protocol did not apply like just kind of ridiculous to be to put it the least now in July 1984 uh, he had called for the killing of like 50,000 Hindus in addition to blowing up Indian embassy. So, I mean, technically he should have been on the radar for like explicitly calling for calling for violence. Now, in ni- August 1984, uh, Gary... Uh Boudreaux, I sorry I met His name of Calgary went to the police so now he was an acquaintance of Parmar but he was also like a petty thief or criminal so he reported to police that Parmar had showed him a suit had given him or, or tried to bribe him with a suitcase bank of uh, Canadian notes which was like around $200,000 and he said, like, if he, if he could plant a bomb on an Air India plane. Now, obviously, like, he said, like, this was completely out of his league and he didn't want to get involved with killing so many innocent people. So he had reported that to the CSI, as the Canadian uh, Services Intelligence Agency, but, like, who had taken no action. A month later, another accomplice, Hermel Singh Grewal of Vancouver, had informed uh, of the same plot. But both the CISIS and the RCMP, I think the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, dismissed both of this as unreliable and the intelligence was ignored. Uh, interestingly, even the CISIS agents who had followed Parmar and his accomplice Inderjit Singh Rayad uh, to a deserted area in June 85, and they heard a loud bang, and which they dismissed as a gunshot, which is kind of strange that uh, when somebody's under surveillance, how would you not? Uh, consider that like, you know, that it he could be testing a bomb for all we know and with all the other intelligence available to them. But the agents did not see fit to have the police stop and search the suspects. I mean, he, later on, it was revealed that he was detonating a blasting cap to see to test his bomb circuit. So these were like so many clues that they simply missed. Even another collaborator had visited a Sikh temple. Uh, on 9th of June and warned uh, the Sikh devotees in the Gurudwara that oh it would be unsafe to fly by Air India kind of hinting as to what was coming next so this was completely botched investigation even after the the plane went down and the bombing the unexpected I mean, it's like beyond mind boggling that out of the 210 tapes, so there was a lot of uh, electronic surveillance on Parmar and Rayat and the collaborators, and they had around 210 tapes of telephonic conversations. Now, for whatever reason, 156 out of the 210 tapes were erased or like destroyed for unknown reasons. And even after they were suspects post the bombing, they continued to erase these tapes. So, uh, it was like kind of shocking that like the whole investigation was a whole comedy of errors. Unfortunately, 329 people had to lose their lives over it. But I mean, e- even like with such a tragedy happening, I think what ended up happening is that a lot of the, uh, I mean, even though there were like around 280 Canadian citizens, but they were like Indian cit- Indian origin people. So at that time, uh, it was didn't create a lot of outrage in like Canada and like it was conveniently forgotten even the public inquiry which started what was an incredible 21 years after in 2006 and that too under a conservative prime minister Stephen Harper Uh, And what ended up happening, like the main suspect, Parmar, like was kind of uh, killed in an encounter with Punjab police when she returned to India. But only one of them, uh, Inderjit Singh Rayat, was convicted and that too of a manslaughter. And later on, he was released for good behavior, like maybe two thirds of his way in in his conviction. So it was, I mean, they have been very soft on terror. Uh, no doubt but this is just kind of the whole litany of uh, issues there how the whole investigation they could have stopped the bombing i mean interestingly they had planned to put two bombs on two planes but the other plane which was an air india flight which stopped over in uh tokyo and narita airport the bomb blew up while on while on the ground uh i mean two baggage handlers lost their lives i mean technically they didn't account for daylight saving uh, that Japan didn't observe as Canada, so thankfully, like uh, the whole plane didn't blow. Otherwise, we would have a un, uh, a terrible tragedy with two Air India planes would have been blown out of the sky in in like middle of nineteen eighty five. You sure? Hmm.
1: Quite a quite a hard, uh, uh evolution of India India Canada ties. Uh, anyway, now uh, now that Kalachand is not more of an issue and. India itself for more than two, three decades. It's kind of uh, lingering along as a diaspora issue, not only in Canada uh, primarily, but also to some extent in the United Kingdom and also in Australia. Uh, Mohal, you want to talk about how it's kind of finding feet in all these places, primarily in Canada?
0: Yeah, so at first, like I want to read a paragraph from an op-ed by... Uh, former Punjab Chief Minister Amrinda Singh Uh uh, when he talks about talking with the diaspora interaction who returned to Punjab like for their travels so and I read like uh, quote tens of thousands of Punjabis who are settled in Canada and who keep traveling to the native place whom I have got many opportunities to meet have always been categorical about keeping a distance from the extremist elements they are fond of their roots They love to travel to India. They can move in any part of the country. They visit the Sikh holy places spread across the length and breadth of India outside Punjab. They are least interested in what people like Niger have been doing and promoting. Trudeau needs to take fresh lessons about the Sikh diaspora and its political preferences and choices. So, so this shows like from experiences like uh, uh, politicians like uh, uh, Captain Amrinder Singh, like the former chief minister of Punjab, like this is, doesn't have much resonance in India even if you look at domestic politics in India uh, in Punjab, I mean there are these few and far between uh, elements who are like pro-Khalistani but most of them, like the vast, vast majority, have want nothing to do with it. E- even if you look at the Pew Research Survey for like people who are in uh, India, like people who identify as Sikhs, like 95% have a strong affinity towards India or like have pro-India views. So, it's like the very tiny majority uh who uh, i mean and like see we it's not like there is a systemic issue most of them i mean as you know like the sikhs are la proud uh, uh, race, they have done a lot of contributions to like the Indian armed forces, the Indian parliamentarians, the Indian overall society, Indian businessmen. So it's like a very minor issue. But unfortunately, what has happened is like the vocal minority has is like uh, overshadowed the vast silent majority who want nothing to do with it. Now, yep. coming back to the diaspora issue, uh I mean, there is little organized support for a separate home. And obviously there are this small vocal minority. Uh, Now, what has happened is like, uh, and then there are like several like articles or podcasts describing like, so Canada's like uh, domestic battles, like, I mean, a lot of the politics has been run through like uh, local, like uh, gurudwaras or associations. Now, what ended up happening is many of the uh, overt or extremist elements have taken over these organizations and they control the money and the funding, which eventually flows to the politicians. So uh, basically like the, even the the liberal party politics, uh, they have been like more focused on like where they can get the funding, where they can, the vote. So like, even though there are like only 2% of the population, like all of the politics, I mean, many seats let's say in like a british columbia or like uh, ontario they are controlled by like which way the sick diaspora votes so they have been the politicians have been pandering to these elements uh, and has suffered obviously a great reputational damage uh, by like pandering to these uh, uh, lowest common denominator like you know and then you know they are trying to play up these grievances of this vocal minority to win votes, but obviously it doesn't make for good uh, foreign policy. Now, also what ended up happening is like in the last election, uh, there was a new party formed by like uh, Jagmeet Singh, who has like, I, I mean, everybody says like a soft corner for Khalistan is in Canada. So now Trudeau has is in an alliance with NDP because they don't have the pure majority. So now Trudeau sees that Eventually, like if NDP corners the whole Sikh vote, then he could lose even more seats and he could be in the minority in the next next election. So not too wanting to lose Sikh votes to NDP and further erode his political positions, he tried to probably go to the left of NDP by maybe by making such explosive allegations. But I mean, this has kind of backfired on him because the it has damaged the overall arc of uh, India-Canada relations. And uh, I mean, there's also like a tinge of uh, uh, racism in this that I mean, the West is kind of lecturing that India cannot do but I mean, a country like US they could take out let's say like an Osama bin Laden or even like keeping aside like uh, uh, hardcore terrorists like Osama bin Laden like, I mean, Qasem Soleimani, like uh, the head of the Quds Force of Iranian Revolutionary Guards, who I think we discussed in one of our previous episodes. I mean, they could be taken out with a drone strike or Anwar Avlaki, like another preacher, like who was uh, uh, against the US. I mean, they could be taken out, but like if India does anything like that, I mean, they are totally up in arms about uh, like, I mean, like how dare like India take out terrorist threats against the against their homeland, but like the US is well within its right to do like I mean they must have done thousands of drone strikes in the Pakistan Afghanistan border. Mm-hmm. So it's just like double standards where uh like one is okay, but like if like the white people folks do it, it's okay. But if the brown folks do like, you know, it's uh it's I mean I mean like even like Israel and Mossad they have taken out lot of targets in the West and there has been uproar over it So, but this is like kind of interesting that India has never like overtly uh, I mean no one has claimed that India overtly assassinated le- leaders I mean if you look at the reports I think there have been at least half a dozen reports in the last six months where Karistani or anti-India people have been eliminated by I mean by rival gangs or whoever they want to claim like whether India has a hand on it so India has been proactive on this part uh, but like there is a lot of uh, evidence that needs to be presented by Canada before this would uh, be uh, proven to be like a reliable stuff. And I'm, Canada is also stuck in a bind, right? That, I mean... India has banned the visas, but now what can Canada do? If they stop the students from coming, because I mean, 40% of Canadian uh, universities give admission to Indians. So if there's a tit-for-tat reciprocal, I mean, they stand to lose billions of dollars. So India is also kind of flexing his muscles with his grow uh, uh, growing stage, uh, uh, clout on the international stage that, you know, that if you like make a serious allegation, we won't take it lying down and, you know, we will also hit back. Um, yeah, yeah, and then also the 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 diaspora element, like the the Canadian politicians for a long have given a free run to these uh, extremist elements. I mean, they don't understand the Indian angle. That see in India, I mean, we had a lot of insurgencies, like the Khalistani insurgency was. I mean, in its heydays, like probably like we lost like four to five thousand people per year. I mean, that's more than what happened on 9-11 To put in perspective for the Western audiences, now if like. I mean, India. We lost like a prime minister, Mrs. Gandhi, unfortunately, due to this, and we lost twenty thousand people, like security forces. I mean, if you look at the South Asian terrorism portal, like I mean, and I can share the numbers later on. Mm-hmm. We lose like we lost like twenty thousand people, and and a, we lost twenty thousand folks and a prime minister to uh, terrorism. So, India is going to be like. Uh, touchy it's a touchy subject in India if there is a revival of Khalistani movements or if shelter is being given a place like Canada so I mean if somebody like a Canada somebody like Canada or like uh, uh, or like a US had lost like 20,000 people to terrorism over a period of years and lost a prime minister a president God forbid then you know they would understand they would have a better understanding why India gets so upset about Khalistan. I mean, many people in the West fail to understand the nuances that this was a serious issue back then, just like the Kashmir issue. We lost like a few thousand people every year. So they have to understand that where we come from, uh, granted it was in the past, but we don't want any sort of revival. Uh, uh, I mean, India has anyways a lot of issues to deal with, but uh, they will get... Uh, worried about any such developments where a lot of these elements are given a free run in a country like Canada. Kishore?
1: Agree, agree. Uh, Okay, quickly before winding up, we'll also talk about political ramifications within India from a (laughs) national security perspective. Now, either way, uh, this is bound to help uh, Prime Minister Modi in an election-bound year. Domestically, of course, uh, while uh, irrespective of whether India actually commissioned this, killing or not, uh, and whether the BJP government uh, asked uh, their uh, diplomats to be involved in this or not. I think while uh, the top people in the government will continue to deny this uh, and therefore call this as a foreign conspiracy, now uh, the the lower rung of uh, the party might continue to claim this as something of an achievement by uh, the current dispensation by their by their part, party in power. And therefore, they might claim that uh, they are kind of, quote-unquote, carrying out surgical strikes within Canada as well. So I think that way, politically, <coughs> uh, the BJP will obviously uh, milk this to their advantage in the election uh, uh, as, as the country heads into uh, Lok Sabha elections 2024. Now, while all this, obviously... Uh, Modi and his uh, style will be likened to uh, Mossad style operations in foreign lands. Now uh, from the perspective of the opposition party, Congress, I think uh, BJP has long uh, alleged Congress to be weak on national security. Even Congress actually came out in support of the Indian government amidst all this. Jaram Ramesh, who has been Uh, a vocal critic of BJP for a long time, He, he also put out a statement and said that the Indian National Congress has always believed that our country's fight against terrorism has to be uncompromising, especially when terrorism threatens India's sovereignty, unity and integrity, and our country's interests and concerns must be kept paramount at all times. Again, a very a very strong statement coming from uh, Jairam Ramesh. Another MP from Congress, Shashi Tharoor, said, and I quote him, it's a very disappointing development. He was referring to uh, Prime Minister Trudeau speaking in their parliament. It's a very disappointing development. I don't quite understand why the apparent need on Canada's part to cater to a particular political lobby in that country and has resulted in their publicly putting their entire relationship with India in peril. But we now must take steps to ensure that it does not deteriorate any further. They are an important trading partner. Now there are escalating threats against the safety and security of Indian, uh, Hindu Indians. And I think that once Canada has unleashed this, they should be very conscious of the dangers they are provoking, including for importing a kind of extremism, that does not exist in India anymore, in Punjab, into their country instead, which is very, very unfortunate. So I would urge Canadians to also take a deep breath and rethink what they are doing, unquote. Uh, another uh, Congress MP, Ravaneet Singh Bittu, I think he is uh, the grandson of former Punjab Chief Minister Bayan Singh, who himself was killed by Khalistani terrorists. Uh, Ravanid Singh Bittu uh, MP said, that Hardeep Singh was at the right hand of those who had actually killed his grandfather. So I think that way, politically within India also, this has kind of uh, let all parties sing a common tune. And uh, I think uh, we will continue to hear this more often as the nation heads into uh, the Lok Sabha elections of 2024. Uh, Mohal, you have anything... uh, to add, Yeah, I, I think the last
0: comment about uh, Ravnit Singh Bitu brings up a good point that uh, not only we lost a prime minister, unfortunately, Mrs. Gandhi, but we also lost a chief minister beyond <laughs> to this terrorism. So those 20,000 people, we also have like a prime minister and a sitting chief minister who was assassinated. So I think this brings up strengthens the point that Canadians have to look at from the Indian perspective that there have been very dark days of, and it took somebody like like, uh, KPS Gill to bring the situation under control. So, uh, I mean, there has to be a greater appreciation of like what happened in India and why they do, why they don't want this to happen. And again, as you said, I think Congress party, I mean, I mean, including us love a lot of harsh critics on national security mm-hmm. but i think they also have seen what has happened to their former prime minister and former chief minister and i think they this is something we want to applaud them like they have taken an uncompromising stand and uh, they've been speaking on the in a similar tone unlike many issues like maybe a Ladakh border standoff and stuff like with china where everybody has spoken in the same i mean it, funnily, I mean, this has kind of uh, united all of India across political party lines because they have seen like what has happened in the past and they don't want a repeat of it. And I mean, as you rightly said that, let's say if these allegations are not proven and BJP will just milk them saying like a foreign conspiracy hand, like which, I mean, every prime minister, since maybe even Mrs. Gandhi has alleged like foreign conspiracy, when it came, uh, anything against us. So, but let's say if it was proven, then as you said, like, like you know, like Modi, many of his supporters, like 36 inch, like a 50 inch chest, like, you know, so it just proves his macho credentials if case there was evidence. So I think it's kind of a, like a kind of a... Uh, like strangely to like a win-win situation with this allegations from Trudeau I mean so let's see how it I mean the relationships are at like I think they've never been lower with Canada I mean I mean as we record on this Saturday sorry this Sunday sorry um, Friday evening my apologies uh, I mean things could take turn for the worse, for the timing. I mean, let's say maybe there are some rumors that maybe Trudeau, I mean, he's out eight years. Maybe he might get replaced in the future and maybe there might be a turning point of relations where uh, more could be done to salvage this relationship. I think it's gone in, I mean, not even deep freeze. Maybe like... Um, liquid nitrogen kind of coal freeze mm-hmm. for the immediate future. Uh, but I think th- things, I mean, they, see, India and Canada are not like enemies like India and Pakistan. We don't have a lot of uh, opposition. We, obviously, there are these some elements which are not favorable to India or in Canada. So maybe a different government would take more proactive action. And I think relations can be restored in the long run. Uh, I mean, after all, we are like big trading partners and friendly nations. So yeah. it's a temporary blip in the... Uh, history of India, I think in future things are bound to improve. I mean, but it will take some time for this repair work to be done. I think there has to be a lot of closed door, back door negotiations. Right now, things are broken to an un. Um, I mean, nobody would have thought it would have broken this bad, uh, but let's see. I mean, more. Let's see in the what happens in the near future. You know, Kishor.
1: Yeah. Uh, Agree on that. Okay, so. Uh... I think we've kind of covered everything that we had uh, planned for today. Uh, Dear listeners, to continue hearing about such interesting topics, do subscribe to our channel, India Rising, wherever you are listening to us. If you are listening to us on YouTube, please press the bell icon to get notifications about new episodes. If you have not left us a review, we urge you to do so as it helps other listeners like you in finding us. We would also like to hear from you if you have any suggestions on topics that would li- that you would like us to cover. Do remember that these topics should be directly related to Indian foreign policy. Until the next time, this is Mohal and Kishore signing off.